Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'm joined as always by my good friends Richard Hello. and Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael, their thing is that they can't agree on nothing, and they like to even uh, disagree on stuff, and they like to do it on microphones, and that's what we make the Mount Rushmore podcast out of, their debate and discussion and deliberation over the top four or most ubiquitous aspects of any given topic, and this week's Topic is the Mount Rushmore of cover songs better than the original. But wait, these guys and this guy didn't come up with this topic. One of our favorite guys did, and that guy is Patty Colm. Welcome to the show once again, Patty. How are you doing? Hi, thank you. I am doing well. well what made you uh, think that this would be a good Mount Rushmore topic? I've always loved reimaginings of music. Um... You know, whether it's, a, you know, the remake or the remix. Back in the 90s, they had the thing called the CD Maxi signal, Single, where there were like nine versions of the song on one disc. You know, you get the, right. ac- yeah, the acoustic, the acapella version, ah. and like the Trevor Horn remix. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I love those. And then the mashup craze came out, and I love that. So I, I, I love different interpretations yeah. of music. And uh, in thinking about that, I realized there's a lot of covers out there, and a lot of them are better than the originals, so Uh. I thought it would be an interesting exercise to figure out what would be the Mount Rushmore. What are the four best covers Mm -hmm. uh, that are better than the originals? So we know there are some people who are songwriters, and they're not necessarily uh, career singers or performers. Would that be any any song that is performed by somebody who who became associated with the song originally, whether, let's say... Uh, somebody covers Hound Dog, even though Elvis didn't write it fully, right. whatever uh, he was the person associated with. So is that what the definition, is this a, a level set here as to what a cover really is? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're in pretty good shape with that. Huh. But we're okay, we'll rock and roll with it. Oh, speaking well, of cover... Our, our eyes are looking back and forth really suspiciously at each other, so okay. we'll have to, we'll get there when we get there. Okay. Guess, okay. Right? Speak, yeah, guess, speaking yeah. of covers, <laughs> uh, I would like to ask to any of you podcast listeners who have maybe listened to Hey, the Roche Mountmore podcast, uh-huh. or the, the top of the four guys, presidents on the rock podcast, or any of those other fake Mount Rushmore covers out there. Give our podcast a listen, and maybe consider it the original. You know what you should do? You should listen to theirs, and then just download yeah. all of our episodes all over yes. again, because you're welcome. Well, yes. And let them know that you did that, Yes, too. those <laughs> knockoff podcasts are the treat processed beef product makes, makes you really enjoy the spam that we create mm-hmm. here. Boy, how yeah. I do want to meet the, uh, the the cover band version of you three. That would be uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. They're like the Muppets. Or well, like, it, because there's cover bands and then there's tribute bands. The tribute bands. The tribute bands are the ones where I think you have to look like the people. So there's like a really weird looking version of yeah. the three of us out there. Guys, so. mini Mount Rushmore are playing at the bar tonight. <laughs> oh, no. The old girl Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore, yeah. Well, you have already done us a solid in that you've provided us with a great topic, uh, Patty, and that you've been on the podcast once before in our live 100th anniversary episode. I wouldn't consider that being on the podcast. I think everybody <laughs> was on. That was the town bike of your podcast. Everybody had a ride. Everybody on had a one. ride. Uh, but we'd also like you to help us again by uh, starting us off with your first choice. Okay, so I went uh, big and went after one of the sacred cows for my first pick. Um, in 1987, from the album Bad, Michael Jackson released the song Smooth Criminal. 
And then a few years later, in 2001, Alien Ant Farm came out and did a cover of it that absolutely, in every way, is better than Michael Jackson's version. Don't miss how we're starting out, huh? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wrong. So, so let me ask you. <laughs> Do you this. want to move on to the next one, or are we just gonna? <laughs> I, I would, I would love to deliberate um, and bring up the idea: is is does one is one beholden to the other? Is the alien ant farm something that would have stood the uh, captured the interest of everyone, or does it need to have Michael Jackson to make it a good? Cover. Can I say yes? Because I, I think the answer is is probably both. I mean, I think the Alien Ant Farm version does stand on its own, uh, but it, it I, you kind of need the Michael Jackson version because it's clearly a a tribute. Uh, I mm. mean, you know, the, when uh, sometimes you know when people do covers, I'm sure they're looking and say, "Well, that's a great song," but Jesus, that the artist did it for shit. We can do it better. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas Alien Ant Farm, they clearly are doing an homage and absolutely love Jackson and the original song. I mean, you can even tell by watching the music video, which is uh, just littered with, uh, with Michael Jackson Easter eggs. Another song that they're famous for, other than a cover song? I don't believe so. Okay. Which is great. I mean, What's a one-hit wonder cover song. Mm. I always feel bad for those guys because you know they're not—they're not getting the songwriting royalties of their one-hit song. Mm, good no, point. But they're getting half of it. They're getting the performance royalties. Well, yeah, but they're not getting the full money that they, no. should, they could be. I might venture that Michael Jackson spent a decade or more in—I think what they call like an imper- imperial period where. Everything he touched um, turned into gold. Every, and he, by virtue of being the king of pop, he could make a lackluster song go to number one because it was Michael Jackson. Sure. So in that case, if you had put those, if those were two unsigned, unknown emerging artists, they did those same songs, we think Alien Ant Farm might get more airplay than... Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And part of the reason is just listening to the, the reinterpretation of it. I mean, Michael Jackson's version has that kind of, you know, groovy backbeat rhythm, uh-huh. which is, you know, indicative of a lot of his songs, where I, I think the tempo is the same as The Way You Make Me Feel, which is one oh. of his love songs. Uh-huh. But you listen to the lyrics of Smooth Criminal, it's like, oh, this is, this is kind of a dark, angry, kind of scary song. Yeah. And because of that, it works a lot better with, you know, the, the late 90s, early 2000s, post-grunge, just angry, growling guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tempo is a lot more upbeat. And the Alien Ant Farm version does not have the weird opening that MJ's does, which is like this weird sort of heavy metal theremin before mm. it. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. But I like that. I kind of like that. I, mean, it, it's, I like me a heavy metal theremin. I do too, <laughs> but not for this song. Mm. You know, because I mean, it's like this weird, you're in space. And then it gets into the, uh, you know, just that groovy rhythm that is I mean, Michael Jackson's uh-huh. songs. Um, Could anyone in Alien Ant Farm do the thing where it was like they were wearing they were heavy leaning boots? Or- <laughs> Lean forward and then back. Uh, Probably not. They, they they did in the video. That that's one of the homages. Is there was the lean. There was the Billy Jean light up floor. Uh, there was uh, the, the kid wearing the glove and the mask doing mm. the Michael Jackson dance. Um, and I, full full disclosure, and I, I have to admit, maybe part of the reason that I, I love Alien Ant Farms even more than Michael Jackson's is because the music video is so incredible. Mm. Ah. 
Um, I have no memory of this uh, music video. The song is embedded in my head as something that uh, I honestly wish to scrub away. But uh, that was like the Scorsese. He's in there wearing kind of thirties type garb. No, no, no. I know that. I know the Michael Jackson video. Oh, the alien. Oh, for sure. The alien ant farm. I have no like. This was a song that was what year was it? Oh, two thousand one was Alien Ant Farms. Jeez, really that late? Early two thousands were just a weird time for music, man. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of. I, I guess farms. you know what I mean. Two thousand, two thousand one. That time, like I didn't have MTV. I wasn't watching. Like I guess nobody had MTV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I don't have like that embedded memory of a music video the way that like the uh, the Michael Jackson is. Right. That it's just like that weird iconic, but also built no, on. What, what was the uh, video? What was the movie that he that, oh, that was that came out of where oh, he turned uh, into a car? What. Yeah, he was. There was like Michael Jackson. Oh, Moonwalker. Moonwalker. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, where the movie like Captain EO? What? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't turn into a car in Captain EO. Uh, but like that, like that song came out of that movie, I believe, or was associated with it in some way. Okay. And then you know, this is going nowhere. Yeah, I got. I, I you're a little. You're a little thrown off by this picture. I, I was really totally. <laughs> okay, well, let's try to get your groove back, Stella, and. Um, Richard and Michael, what is your response? All right, so we'll go with our first one. We have categories because when Michael and I, a lot of times when we try to do one collaboratively, it's just there's too much crap happening mm-hmm. for us to really yeah. we be dis- able to focus. We disagree on a lot of stuff. And, and, and this one would be no example. Yeah. No, or no, a, a certain example. This is uh, in the category of someone who did a lot of covers. Try to kill it. Um, and this one is uh, all away. But I remember. Everything What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone See, I, I uh, know I think this is a very fine song I don't think it's better than yours I think it's I think it's I think it's a song. But I but I understand that I recognize maybe it's as good as, but I wouldn't say it's. Is there deliberation amongst the deliberation? Yeah, well, there's okay, some okay, argument about okay, this. Okay, okay. St- I mean, listen, we're working it out right here. Okay. <laughs> this is one where I put my foot down. The foot went down. like in, like in. in. Uh, what, what are the components that make it better than the, is it tre- Nine Inch Nails? Who, who, who does it? Richard doesn't like anything that was recorded after 1995. 1994? 94, no. You only like things that were recorded before 1993. Tell the audience who Cash is covering. <laughs> well, Johnny Cash is covering uh, is covering Trent Reznor, Nine mm-hmm. Inch Nails. Yeah, yeah. And I agree. I, I'm as, not as much of a Nine Inch Nails fan as most people are. They just never. I like some of the singles. I like the Hurt single, but it, they weren't a band that I know for a lot of people they were a lot more seminal. Put it that way. For me, Johnny Cash was something I, somebody I grew up on. Yeah. Somebody my family listened to all the time. Um, somebody who stopped in my little hometown one day because we have a Swedish coffee pot for a water tower, and he was driving on the freeway to a... Did a cover of Swedish coffee pot, <laughs> yeah, <he did>. water <laughs> tower. And uh, said, well, I want to see what that thing is, and pulled over and did a photo op in front of it. I got to change that lyric from shot a man in Reno <laughs> now, to did do the U2 stopped thing and, and like, saw get up on top of the water tower and do an impromptu concert? <laughs> he did not. <laughs> I also think this was, I think this was back in the mid-'80s, so it's possible he thought he was hallucinating yeah, oh, okay. that there was a giant Swedish coffee pot as a water tower. God's telling me to sober up. I do. <laughs> I do like the small townness of uh, 
because someone stopped here, it's now like, oh, now we have to love this guy. It's, he basically slept in someone's bed, and now there's a plaque above it. Right. Do you think uh, that song's context... Uh, oh, yeah, the song, huh? The, the song... <laughs> nope. Everybody knew Cash was dying. Everybody knew yeah. that he had this uh, very... Comp- his biopic had come out already. Yeah. And everybody knew he was teaming up with uh, super producer with Rick, Rubin. Rick Rubin, who, you know, sometimes he tries to um, make somebody over, but sometimes he just is good at letting them be them... Right, and what they would do is he would, a lot of times he would suggest, bring songs to Johnny Cash. And Johnny Cash would sit there with his guitar and basically try and figure it out and figure out if he can make it sound like a Johnny Cash song. Yeah. And this sounds like the ultimate Johnny Cash song. I think knowing his personal history and what he was able to bring to the song, because this is a song that is about drug use, about sort of abuse, it's about betraying the people that you love because of your own selfishness. And that's something that, that he dealt with personally. He did that. He had to deal with the consequences of that. And I think the power of the song, a lot of it does come from a shared knowledge and back kind of knowing his story. And then I think for me, musically, I connect with the simplicity of the, of the music more than I do the, the Trent Reznor version, hmm. which again is also great. But I think, I think the more, I guess. I I would say that I think the song works because uh, like on the Downward Spiral, uh, it kind of, the song is like the coda at the end of the Downward Spiral. It's this kind of, you know, slow, melodic, you know, very pained song. And it kind of represents the same thing for Johnny Cash at the end of his life. It's like- It's a literal coda. Yeah, it perfectly wraps up like his long life. And I think that there is a- relationship there that is pretty interesting that wouldn't be as if he hadn't passed away a few years later or if he hadn't if that hadn't been you know you if you go up and look hurt into google the first thing that comes up is the johnny cash version of which is really strange yeah when it's like oh this is people now know it for him i think there is like a a a quote or something attributed to uh trent reznor and he was in a magazine he said this isn't my song anymore. No, he said, I don't own this song anymore. It's Johnny Cash's. Yeah. Which I think is all the proof we probably need that it's his song now. Yeah. Well, and and I I, I like the aspect uh, that you brought up, Richard, about how, yeah, I mean, this was much more personal and it seemed to make a lot more sense with Johnny Cash than with Trent Reznor. I mean, I, I, I couldn't say much about, uh, uh, I, I don't know as much about Trent Reznor's career but, or, or his, his personal life, but from what I understand, he's always been sort of a uh, kind of a clean, straight-up guy who just plays the role of like this dark, broody, gothy, you know, kind of person. Uh, so, yeah, it almost feels like it belongs to Johnny more because Cash actually, actually lived that. Lived it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He actually shot a man in Reno once. He did, yeah, died, yeah. So. I don't um, think Trenton Reznor ever did that. I yeah, don't think. Yeah, and from just a, a strictly musical aspect, um, on that same album, the uh, I think it was called the Man in Black. Or that was the album. That was like the series of albums. There's like one, two, three, four. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was like it, it was his final album. It was American for uh, the, man the Man Comes, comes around. around. That's yeah. right. Yeah, the Man Comes Around. Um, there are songs on there where you can see that Johnny Cash's voice is really starting to fail him with the age. Right. Uh, his his cover of Bridge Over. Uh, troubled, troubled water. water. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's 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 an enjoyable song to listen to, but it's just it's painful hearing how his voice is not what it once was. However, that same aspect of that kind of broken, worn down voice works beautifully with the song "Hurt." And of course, you mentioned the Alien Ant Farm video, and my God, the video for this song. I mean, 
that's again maybe it's hard not to to disassociate the video with the song itself but just this video of him like you said definitely looking like looking all of his age and having these flashbacks and these these intercut with these these scenes of him as a young man and just sort of looking back at what his life and this museum he was in that apparently had been water damaged and that's why everything looked kind of beat up and run Mm -hmm. down in there yeah i almost think that's not fair <laughs> you know if uh if uh you know if uh, i was to play willie loman and death of the salesman and then jack nicholson you know grab the script from me right people oh well he did much better job yeah he fucking lived this person he's got more lines in his you know his pinky than i do in my face that have so much character botox over, yeah mr botox over yeah. here yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I got, I'm, I'm just that. addicted to it. You're looking very manufactured <laughs> these days, Jeff. Do I look surprised? Yeah, I always do. <laughs> I always look surprised. Okay, so uh, they have uh, responded to Alien Ant Farm's copy or cover of Smooth Criminal with a little Johnny Cash covering Trent Reznor. And so what do you got for them? Well, uh, for my second pick, I, uh, clearly I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, to to gain any fans on the other side of the table by uh, you know hitting like you know the 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 big name you know iconic musicians um, and uh, well we know how Winfield feels about certain soundtrack uh, aspects so I figure I'll just piss him off even more. Um, People are strange. Originally done in 1967 by The Doors, and then remade for the Lost Boys soundtrack oh. by Echo and the Bunny. Oh wow! When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange, when you're strange, when you're strange. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly. No qualms here. No, no problems with that. Yeah. I hate the doors, so that's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, and the reason that I picked this one is I I, I, I enjoy the doors. Um, I, I respect and enjoy what they did. But in a lot of ways, I, I don't think Morrison was the greatest of musicians or singers. Um, and when Echo and the Bunnymen redid it for the Lost Boys soundtrack, you realize, oh, Oh, there's actually a really, really solid song here, mm-hmm. um, and there could also be some some personal aspect to it. In that, uh, I think Echo and the Bunnymen, it, they are a ludicrously underrated band. Okay, um, you know they, they've got a few songs, and people, oh yeah, I know that. But if you really listen to a broader scope of their library, you realize, oh wait, they did that song, and they did that song, uh, and they did that song. Uh-huh. And you know the lead singer has a little bit of a uh, of a Nick Cave kind of aspect to his voice. So, yeah, uh, that's right uh, on. That's my second pick. And, it's uh, it was. Um, I have like vague memories of Lost Boys. Oh like, really? I, I I think I've seen it, but I saw it around that time, and I was way too young to have seen it. So I only have like almost like a fingers over my head, my eyes sort of memory of that movie. But I remember the song. Perfectly. Okay. Like, like this version of the song is wonderful. It's great. It's a little haunting. It's a little kind of made for a vampire movie. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a little bit weird. It's not quite as, you know, the Doors one is a little dopey. It's, it's a little like, eh, who cares? Yeah. And it also has a weird intro. You're uh, out, you're, uh, out on weird intros. I don't, well, 
if it doesn't fit the long the song, intro isn't for you, is it? I'm okay with a long intro. A long intro is great, but mm. if it's a weird intro that has nothing to do with the rest of the song, eh, you're, you're being gimmicky. The Lost Boys seem to also be a cover, not just of a Jim Morrison song by Echo and the Bunny, but but Jim Morrison as a character. It seems like was it that Jason Patrick was the protagonist yes, in that. One of them. There were some shots that made in the in the the Corys. <laughs> uh, there were some shots that. It seemed like he was being styled as Jim Morrison somewhat, or this kind of enigmatic. After he becomes uh, caught up in the vampire gang, yeah. he seems to like he gets his swagger. Uh, I, I do have one final point about the Lost Boys soundtrack. There was another cover on that album. Mm. Um, Roger Daltrey did a version of Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Bet Me, uh, originally by uh, Elton John. Um, so yeah, just a couple of covers. But notably, neither of those songs are the best song from the soundtrack. The well, best... were, were the other ones, were they all like kind of semi- Vampire, oh, sun go down. Absolutely. Just they took the, they took whatever song they were going to do based on. Oh, here's the song about the moon. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, they should have done Killing Moon by the Echo and the Bunny Man. Uh, Echo and the Bunny. <laughs> yeah, they could have done their own song. They, yeah. they, they, they should have done a gotten, cover of their own song. Yeah, then they could have gotten the double ro- double, double royalties. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, although I do have one band that. What was the best song? Oh, you said... Oh, oh the, the best song was uh, Still Believe by Tim Capello. Um, and that was the song that was uh, featured live on screen. Uh, the Sexy Sax Man? The Sexy Sax Man at the Santa Cruz <laughs> Beach. Uh, with uh, Yeah, uh, naked, in the rain, oiled up, yeah. and uh, singing his song. And... Uh, a lot of people don't realize that that's who that look is what the sexy sax man from Saturday Night Live was based on Tim Capello in that oh, yeah. movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. That's one thing that has survived, the sexy sax man, I think as an animated gif oh, and yeah. a meme and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, all thanks to Tim Capello. All right, uh guys, guys. can you get your shit together and agree with each other before yeah, you yeah, get no, okay, disagree with Patty? Okay. Hey, it worked out. Okay, good. Whatever. We know we're not getting that point anyway. So <laughs> Jeff thought it was too good, apparently. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, our next song is under the category of gender swapped. Uh, and it's the song Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy oh, Lauper. Wow. The original version is by uh, Robert Hazard. and that's a, that's a male name, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Correct. Okay. And uh, he put out the song originally in 1979, and her version is the 1983 version. What's interesting is that this guy comes off as this very much Elvis Costello-y, kind of Carsy, kind of the vapors, a little skinny tie, cool guy, new wave, a little arrogant. And the song is about getting laid. Right. As all mm. songs from 1976 until 1980. Right. We're ex- explicitly only about yeah. getting laid. Well, even a little bit into, you know, the 80s. Okay, I'll get into uh, from 1955 <laughs> until present day. Every song is about getting laid. But... His version, imagine this song with kind of like a cool Carsy beat, um, but then this guy singing it. The, the lyrics are almost identical oh. about saying, you know, uh, come home late one night, blah, 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 blah. Girls just want to have fun. It's all about having sex with girls. Uh, Cindy Lauper gets a hold of this song, doesn't really want to do it, but then kind of takes it on as kind of this female empowerment. We're on the same level as you sort of thing. And it becomes this song that...
only know because of her. You think it's her original song, and her interpretation of it um, flips the entire meaning on his head. And I thought that was really interesting when a song can do that, when a song can be sung by a guy and mean one thing and sung yeah. by a woman and mean something completely different. redemption for the song, too, because now it, it puts its ownership in a little less of a chauvinistic, sexist yeah. framework, and it's a, a woman enjoying um, the, the things like sex that a lot of men think they, <laughs> they own. They, they, they own. Yeah. <laughs> Women aren't allowed to enjoy sex, no. Jeff. Come on. <laughs> There's a fun music podcast, if you guys are at all familiar with Cocaine and Rhinestones, and they, they've been hmm. going over just kind of the history behind some country music performers and some country music songs in particular, but... Um, uh, Loretta Lynn song about the pill called uh, the pill yeah called the pill and um, just the idea that it represented at the time which was many years after the pill was legal uh, was that men just felt felt um, threatened by it they're 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 threatened by a woman having uh, more enjoyment of her sexuality because now she knows it won't result in pregnancy so I, by the way I'm looking at a photo of, of of Robert Hazard he looks like somebody who was probably like in his 40s. At the time, and was trying to play act as sort of a skinny tie, like new wave singer. When he passed, he looked like Merle Haggard or something. Oh, like, really? I remember seeing author, the headline: "Author of Girls Just Want to Have Fun Dies," and then this guy who looks like a, a filling station attendant uh, in a <laughs> in a horror film or something like that was in the in the photo feature. So we just, just for the record, we all took a quick pizza break while we listened to a little bit of that song. And I didn't get pizza. No, no, shh, not the pizza. So he sounds, he looks like someone who's trying too hard, and he sounds like somebody who's trying too hard. He sounds like somebody who is trying. But certainly Cindy Lauper. Uh, never not. tries too hard, no. <laughs> just natural, pure natural. You know, all, that's all I think of when I think of her. So That's it. He sort of sounds like someone who heard an Elvis Costello song once and said, yeah, I could do that. So inspiration, I think, is a fun motivation to examine when a writer writes a song and um, if Bow Wow Wow covered it, it would have sounded a little bit like that. Uh, I I want candy in here. Does anybody raise your hand if you have an Elvis Costello song on your list? I don't see any hands raised, but I had heard a cover of Almost Blue by Chet Baker and Elvis Costello admitted it, had admitted he wrote it for Chet Baker. Right. And so like, I, I find it fascinating when a songwriter is composing to the strengths of another, not themselves. And if anything, they're even creating a song with lyrics that tell a story that is based on another's persona. And 
Trent Reznor might have been trying to dress up like a character who's seen so many miles of road that Johnny Cash has. Had actually seen Yeah, and I think Elvis Costello was certainly trying to do that when he's writing for Chet Chet Baker, a heroin addict. And then he got Chet Baker to play on shipbuilding. He plays the trumpet. Yeah, like the four notes of a solo or something before he passes out. Right. Or his teeth come out of his mouth. But uh, I do find it interesting that... Yes, in in many instances, a cover can outstrip the uh, talents of the composer who created it, but sometimes it's because they're writing a script for another character that's not even them, and that person plays much better. Hmm. We are at our halftime, and I'm excited to tell you that uh, we have a gift for you, the listener. That's right. For me? You have a gift for me? No, the listener. You haven't been listening to any any of these podcasts. I don't listen to this damn thing. No, actually, Richard, you can partake of this, or Michael can partake of this, or Patty, our guest. Uh, And that is uh, Audible's free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You could uh, download and listen to Down the Highway, The Life of Bob Dylan, certainly an oft-covered singer-songwriter. That's by Howard Sounds and Peter Markiner. With Audible, you can get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial uh, by going to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. With over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, uh, Audible is going to be something you will take advantage of. Download your free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Rushmore for your free audiobook. Audiobook. Um, so we at the Mount Rushmore podcast are an underdog. We're an emerging podcast, and we would like to uh, ask you to help us out by doing one of the following: by going to iTunes, downloading, rating, and <laughs> rating and reviewing any of our past episodes or all of our past episodes. If you gave us a five stars, that would really uh, kind of uh, um, give us a boost. And if you left a review, it would help like-minded individuals uh, know that this is for them or not. We are back, and we are very privileged to have in our studio this time around Patty Cullum, who is an all-around swell guy, is a person who's joined the dialogue on our Facebook and uh, social media handles by suggesting topics in the past, by commenting on uh, episodes, and in this case, by suggesting, um, and he suggested this episode's topic, which is the Mount Rushmore of cover songs that are better than the original. Um, so we are going to flip the album over because we are at our halftime and we're beginning the back nine. So, Petty, what is your third choice? So uh, my third choice is another uh, soundtrack poll. Uh, and this is one where tempo makes the difference. The original was a little bit more upbeat tempo. The cover was a lower tempo. And that was uh, Mad World, originally recorded in 1982 by Tears for Fears and covered by Gary Jules uh, for the Donnie Darko soundtrack oh. in 2001. Wow, cool. Uh, what, what makes this better? The, the tempo. Well, the tempo, it's its certainly sort of a haunting kind of song as far as the lyrics and, you know, singing about uh, depression because, well, apparently because they're not getting laid and that, that's why they're sad. Oh. Because uh, all songs are about getting laid. It's, yeah. it's established. <laughs> um, that's established. Yeah, the, the original, uh, the Tears for Fears version, I mean, it sounds like a lot of other Tears for Fears songs, you know, it's got kind of that, uh, you know, poppy yeah. 80s beat and, and very synthesized. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... 
when Gary Jules came around and, and uh, did the remake, it's I think it's only piano. I don't know if there are any other instruments. That there may be like a little bit of drum, or, yeah. But I think it's mostly just piano and him singing, mm. and it's it's haunting and it's amazing and it's it's, it's just. Hide my head, I wanna drown my sorrow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow, and I find it kind of funny. Find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you. I find it hard to take when people run in circles. You realize, very, very actually, listening to the lyrics, how sort of a, a, a heartstring pulling song it is and works much, much better yeah. with just, you know, one guy at a piano singing the song versus. A, uh, an overproduced, manufactured version. Yeah, kind of kind of feels like a kind of hurt comparison too, where hurt's very stripped down. Uh, this is the same thing. It's kind of a stripped down, slower tempo version of something with you know, kind of uh, kind of harsh lyrics and kind of kind of uh, sad lyrics. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say harsh, but uh, sad, uh, morose, forlorn. Now you've got a couple soundtrack choices here. Did you see the movie uh, that this was in? Donnie Darko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um... okay. It seems like could you, would would you could you believe that maybe your choices are um, buoyed a little bit by the cinematic uh, support that it gets in the film? Um, speechless. This we'll is be, the first time we'll in be ten back. years we're going to take that another. Patty has been speechless. This is amazing. <laughs> I've never seen him stump before. This is like a up up down down left left right. <laughs> Yeah, you <laughs> unlock thirty lives, and all of the them. Cheat code against Patty. Um, the only merit that I'll give to that is that I probably would not have heard Gary Jewell's version of the song if it weren't for the movie. Okay, um, but in this case, I, I I don't think this one was buoyed by seeing it cinematically in the movie. Uh, it was a transition from a, a driving in a car to 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 his friend's house, and it wasn't featured prominently. Necessarily. Oh, it was featured prominently. I think it's the song that's playing at the very end. Donnie Darko is a very strange yeah. movie, but it was featured at the end when uh, all of the weird time travel stuff is coming together, and we're seeing the uh, the jet engine flying out of the sky to land in Donnie's room and killing him. Okay, yeah, I mean it's it, it's at a pretty key moment in the yeah. film. Um, cool. But, yeah. All right, uh, guys, what do you got? All right, so my next one, our next one, this is in the category of didn't know that was a cover. Oh. And this is The Tide is High by Blondie. Oh, wow. They took the number one in 1980, uh, but was originally a rock steady ska song by a group called the Paragons. Uh, originally uh, came out in 1966, and Blondie did had a couple. Of, right, Michael? Didn't they have a couple of ones that we were kind of going back and forth on? There was, oh, hanging on the telephone was yeah, another one. That was the other one. So that's, that's not a song that I was all that familiar with. And when you suggested this one, I was like, "That's not a Blondie song." Yeah. It was a ska yeah. song hmm. that kind of filtered its way through uh, the kind of the club scene 
in the it kind of became like a minor hit here, like the early seventies, mm-hmm. and kind of like late seventies, early eighties is when like kind of all the ska and rock steady and, and Jamaican music was sort of mm-hmm. filtering its way back up, especially through the clubs in New York. Yeah, so that's how it got to Blondie. Mm-hmm. Then they kind of took what originally is a very it's a good it's a good song, but it's a very kind of standard rock steady vocal trio type of performance. Mm-hmm. And just added a little bit of a of a new age edge to it while kind of still keeping that. Debbie Harry is going to be an improvement over pretty much whoever is singing the yeah. other song. I think Debbie Harry is one of the all time great front people yeah. in all of music and I think mm-hmm. very underrated. Mm-hmm. And what do you think of like great great fronts? Singles yeah. for bands. I think the original Paragon's version is just kind of like it's a fine song. It's a fine ska song. It doesn't. It's just this kind of Caribbean beat song. It's every, and then, it sounds like everything that you hear out of every Trojan Records like <laughs> compilation okay. ever. But you know, uh, Debbie Harry definitely, especially when she kind of hits the high notes and says hi, yeah, in a way that I can't because mm-hmm. I can't sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, is <laughs> one of those things that just like it it kind of earmarks it's just it it's hits that point on the song that you're just like oh this is interesting yeah. she's fascinating and this is right i think it's she's an example of someone who yes can sing but more than that had person had has personality as a singer mm-hmm. and so is able to take a fairly standard ska song yeah and turn it into something Almost sounds like the same formula that the uh, police did been synthesizing punk and reggae together yeah, and sure. and and this I have a, some tremendous nostalgia for because I think I remember KTEL or somebody put out a new wave. I think maybe they they maybe have called it punk at the time, but there was that time when we thought what new wave was. Was, was it punk? Chipmunk punk? I don't think it was that, but I do remember this video. It seemed like they showed a, a promotional film. Perhaps it was then considered a video. And Darth Vader, I think, is a character in this or a guy in a Darth Vader mask. Copyright was yeah. a lot looser back yeah. in the day. Yeah, sure was. Well, yeah, the video had, uh, yeah, basically, um, let me read the music video description verbatim. Oh, from, please uh, do, yeah. Hey guys, uh, this is for all listeners who don't have access to the uh, internet. to the the Wikipedia part of well, the internet. Don't don't don't, don't <laughs> Wikipedia while you're probably listening to this in your car while you're driving. I don't want you to drive off the road. I mean, it'll be exciting when I read it, so don't either. Yeah. Unless your car has Wi-Fi, then go for it. Go for go it. Nuts. Does does Audible have just all of Wikipedia that they're just reading constantly for forever? Can we get? The, can you download that for free? There's some guy in the studio who's like, "What? I thought I was done. How are there more pages? God." The band is waiting out on the street for Debbie Harry, who is trapped in a flooding apartment. All the while, she's being monitored from outer space by what appears to be a Darth Vader-like alien being. Oh, you got it. She I soon love this re- already. She soon reunites with the band on the street, and they drive to a rocket launch and fly into space. Then they crash into the spaceship or space station. Harry confronts the alien being and begins dancing with him. Sure. The end. <laughs> Cocaine was Cocaine. awesome. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how this relates to the tide rising. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, got, her apartment's flooding. Yeah, oh, that's so the they, got, they got there that. And then, the uh, tide ain't the only thing high <laughs> in this right. video. Okay, cool. That's cool. Uh, you're choice right now is uh, integral because oh my god you guys are neck and neck these points have been scored on each side Ooh. i've actually been listening this time wow yeah jeff's actually paying attention for yeah that's nice. so i'm 
in, in my constant uh, method methodology of taking a swing at the big guns, I'm uh, I'm hitting the biggest. Uh, and that is the Beatles. Oh, they whoa, came whoa. out. Slow your rule, man. With a song called "With a Little Help from My Friends." Oh, it was off the Sgt. Pepper album in 1967. Wait, what album was that? I never heard of that. Nobody song. knows Sergeant that. Sgt. Pepper. And one year later, Joe Cocker covered oh, yeah. the song and absolutely destroyed their version. Of it. The yeah. Beatles version is, you know, that very kind of bouncy beat. I mean, this is on Sgt. Pepper's. How can you sing better than Ringo? Are you saying that oh, Joe Cocker sings it's better than Ringo? so <laughs> easy to shit on Ringo. God, that, you know, I was thinking about this because, yeah, people, uh, Ringo's so easy to shit on, not just as far as, like, the Beatles. Like, oh, he's he the was the shortest, too. So. He was the shortest. Hey. He was the ugliest. Yeah, we get all that. But you know what? John and Paul weren't that good looking either, but George Harrison was smoldery. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, um, yeah, it, it's easy to shit on Ringo. Yeah. Like, why, why do people hate Ringo? so much here's what it is the british decided we need to have a shit drummer out there because we're sick of those uh, the, the 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 colonials you know yeah. i mean american music at the time was very big on the snare drum you know you got the marching snare drum and like fuck drummers we're gonna pick uh, create the most popular band in the world with a shitty drum yeah i um, buy that and so yeah that's 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 thus drummers are easy to shit on everybody hates ringo and uh, the British didn't decide that they liked drummers again until Def Leppard's drummer lost his <laughs> arm and then became just this total superstar. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the arrangement is is uh, it, it almost makes you forget the the George Martin Beatles arrangement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because the, the Beatles. I mean, it's it's sort of this afterthought in Sgt. Pepper's, and it's on Sgt. Pepper's. That's one of the more experimental albums, but or it's starting to get into their experimental albums. But the the song, it, it sounds like it's that same bouncy "I want to hold your hand" kind yeah. of. Yeah, it just it, well, it, it doesn't work as well. And Cocker comes in and just does this emotional bluesy thing. He's got this choir behind him. And yeah, he's feeling the song. Uh, at one point during the call and answer, you know, do you need anybody? Uh, you know, I, I need some help from my friends. Uh, at one point, Joe Cocker is so into the song that when they give the call, do you need anybody? His answer is, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's a blues man. I mean, he's jo into this Joe song. Cocker is going to sue you for copyright infringement of that. Of that. <laughs> he has copyrighted the trademark. <laughs> for that moment, your sideburns became 10 times longer <laughs> And you were wearing like a, a hippie shirt. Oh, I was at Woodstock right there. You started yeah. lurching around wildly, yeah, yeah. gesticulating. Like that was John Belushi. The Beatles. I read. There's a fun book about Let It Be, and it is associated. Let It Be is associated with the demise and the end of the Beatles. When the book uh, posits that that was supposed to be the rebirth of the Beatles, and they were going back to this bluesy, rootsy place that um, they had witnessed in the the rock outfit, the band, that had an Americana component, that had a more bluesy, folksy, more human moment. 
So I think the Beatles would probably agree with you, Patty. <laughs> They'd probably say, yeah, that's a fucking performance, and this guy's for real, and we've become this kind of fabricated studio act that doesn't get along with each other, and, you know. And the only thing keeping us together are the uh, the, the, the drugs and the uh, the swamis yeah. who are, uh, you know, giving us, hey, let's get a, let's get a bazooki in here, yeah. and a sitar, and mm-hmm. okay, we've got another album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you say well, get a bazooki choice. in here? Because that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Didn't Joe Cocker also cover uh, She Came In Through the Bathroom window? Yeah, yeah. You think by, by the time he did that, they're like, okay, that's enough. That's <laughs> enough. There's other artists you can cover. Let's yeah. Just well, I think great pick, Patty. Another observation yeah, is that like, artists at the time, um, you know, we've been calling them covers, but when it's, when it's popular, it's called a standard. And their their job was to go out and, and sing these songs. So it wasn't uncommon. I'm sure on the other side of the pond, Frank Sinatra was singing all these songs. Sure. <laughs> well, well, you mentioned Elvis Costello. Like his dad was a yeah, Joe, was, was British a, orchestra singer. Was yeah. like a, and, and would sing like whatever the hits of the day were. Yeah, like in kind of more of a big band mm-hmm. style. But there's a a great video out there of, of his dad doing "If I Had a Hammer." Oh and wow! He, he looks like Elvis Costello. It is. Is that right? Frightening. I haven't seen this. I'd really go do that. When you mentioned the Beatles, I thought you were going to go with the Beatles doing a cover version. Of someone else's song. Oh, okay. I know Michael and I, when we were kicking around ideas, we kicked around Beatles covers of other songs. Yeah. Because if you you think about it, there was at least... The history of rock and roll, outside of being all about sex, is about just stealing music from other people and redoing another version of it 10 years later. Usually usually stealing from black people, if you're white specifically. So, you know, you could have gone with something like Twist and Shout or Money or, you know, take take your pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think of them as um, not just... Black or stealing from the other guy who stole from black music. At one time, they, you know, they were asked, you know, aren't you guys just four Elvises? And so, right. um, but then Chuck Berry and Little Richard and and all these people that they they were enamored with at the beginning, and then girl groups too. I, I almost feel like the Beatles were the first male girl group <laughs> because they were uh, mop topped and affable and very charming and very cosmetic. Right, that's and, true. Yeah, yeah. Proto K pop. Yeah, they totally that's were. Bad, yeah. Okay, uh, guys. Oh, okay, my favorite Beatle cover uh, would be Stevie Wonder, We Can Work It Out. Okay, hmm. sorry. Uh, our last pick is the 1996 song, 1996 cover, Killing Me Softly by the Fugees. Oh, wow. Cover of the um, Roberta Flack song, which is actually a cover of another song, but nobody cares about that. The Fuji's version is one a wonderful reimagination of a song. Originally, they wanted to take the song and do something completely different, but the writers were like, "No, you can only do a cover of the song if you do a cover of the song and use our lyrics." Oh, um, do, you, do you have to get permission to do a cover? I don't oh. know. Probably, pro- probably if you're going to do a, I would assume. Uh, yeah, I, I, you, I think you do need permission from the original author. Um, you probably probably in negotiating because if you were to uh, record it without negotiating for rights, then you probably pay a higher price than you would if you go in and say, "Hey, we want to cover this thing. How much yeah. is it going to cost?" Yeah. So they 
we're like, okay, well, we really want to do this version. We have a good idea for this version. So we'll keep the lyrics. And they put out something that was interesting and soulful and groovy. And it felt of the time. Like, it didn't just feel like a cover of a song. It felt like their song. And if you listen to the original song, in spite of winning every Grammy known to man, uh, when it was released... I mean, maybe I'm biased, but it kind of sounds a little Muzaki. Like yeah. she's got a great voice, but the song is just so very mm-hmm. slow and just like, was there nothing else good out in 1973? It's very mm-hmm. adult contemporary. Yes. Oh, yeah. And the Fuji's version is just has a great groove and just everything. It's it just sounds it, fresh. Yes. Even the one time, one time, <laughs> which is the best <laughs> part to sing. Which is if you can't sing the rest of it, you at least can sit in your. You, you can be in your car and you're like. So it, it, now, is that like the uh, the 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 Leonard Bernstein uh, of "It's the End of the World as We Know It"? It's like the one part of the song that everybody can sing. Yeah, we're covering that song later in the year <laughs> on this podcast. But, I mean, speaking of bias, I, I we do need to point out that it, is, is some of the reason for this pick because of uh, uh, Winfield's infatuation with Lauren Hill or fascination with Lauren Hill. Yeah, I mean, you know, she she's great. She's yeah she. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, she only put out one studio exactly. album outside of, you know, these two with the Fugees. All she needed. Yeah. Well, guys. So, yeah, no no offense to uh, Roberta Flack. I'm sure you're... So you're what, if you're listening, Roberta, yeah. we love you. <laughs> she, reco- she co- I thought, I, I remember reading about that song because I had heard it was Roberta Flack singing about Don McLean. And then she, then a reading that it was written by some other guys. And then they said they talked to her about her... Uh, concert she saw where Don McLean was killing her softly with oh, his oh music. God. Uh, the original version was by someone named Lori Lieberman, and so I I don't I assume someone else wrote the song. I don't I don't have it. Written I thought just two other do some some male authors wrote the song. Was Roberta Flack American Pie? <laughs> she she was somebody observing. Oh no no no, the Don McLean connection. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do. A I'm thing. getting that. I'm doing a shtick. This. Room has no doors. <laughs> oh my god! This is like stuff starting to fucking open and shit. <laughs> it's the oh ghost of Roberta Flack fucking with us. Pissed <laughs> off right now. Maybe I'm thinking of Superstar. Long ago, and so very far, I fell in love with you after the first show. The Carpenters. Don't you make yeah. Love yeah. Baby. Okay. Never mind. Sorry. Which is uh, which was covered immensely, wonderfully by Joe Cocker. Okay. Yes. Wait, so, Superstar was? Yeah. Wait, it was Joe the only Cocker. one I know of is a Sonic Youth one. I think he duetted with somebody on it. Was Joe Cocker the UB40 of the 60s? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> read, read, when you make me feel so fine. And they uh, also did I Can't Help But fall, uh, Falling In Love With Oh, you did? Oh, no, UB40. That, that's all they did was Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably did, like, a, a track for um, Short Circuit or something <laughs> Uh, they covered the short circuit song. Oh, yeah. no, Who's see, Johnny? They covered that. UB40, they did have a song that was very heavily featured in uh, some shitty movie from the 90s. I okay. can't remember what it was. So uh, look it up. It's online, right. Wikipedia. All right, guys, thanks so it. much. Thanks so much for uh, uh, lending your time and talents to this fun fun topic that Patty brought to our table. We really appreciate it, Patty. That's no, my pleasure. Now, real quick, while you're like yes. sitting down doing your final okay. tally, right, tally. Um, okay. I, I'm really curious to know, Carry Richard, Michael, did you guys have. Uh, like also rands that almost made the list because I had a whole slew of them. Sure, we had a we had a spreadsheet that we were working off. Of. We had a Google Doc that we were working <laughs> yeah. off of, of course. Okay. Right. Okay. I mean, every you know every 
third suggestion that Richard made, I tried to say, well, the chipmunks have a version of... <laughs> he was that, all in on chipmunk, by the way. On, honestly, there was a category that we kind of came down really close to near the end, uh, which was a category that uh, Emily, my wife, suggested, which is Christmas songs. Ah. And we thought, wow, that would be a real good like curveball to throw at everybody because no one would think of that. And then it, we decided we're just being too clever. Yeah. And uh, Richard and uh, Jeff would probably penalize us for that. <laughs> would, yeah, well, I'm, look, I'm looking at him right now, and he's like, "Yep." <laughs> well, in uh, in my research, I discovered there is uh, one song that's just very, very odd as a cover. Weird Al Yankovic technically has one cover, oh. uh, and that has to, that would be um, the Bohemian Polka. He always has the polka on one of his albums, right? And uh, usually they're a medley, but the Bohemian Polka is the actual song, lyric for lyric, beginning mm. to end. So it's technically a cover. Oh. A non-original, a non-parody from Weird Al. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which was... It, I mean, Polka's a parody, no matter what. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> but it's just so fun, you know, listening to the Bohemian Rhapsody as a polka. Yeah, Michael had wanted to do Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You as being better than oh. Martin's. And I, I, that's another one where my, the old, the old foot, photo came down. I okay. That I thought that was going to be on your list. <laughs> We've seen I let photo. him have his way. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, actually, I don't have much in this life, Michael. Thank you for letting me have that. Okay, here, here, here's a here's Patty's accolades to Patty for taking on a couple titans, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, with the Smooth Criminal uh, being trumped by Alien Ant Farm's version of Smooth Criminal, and then I'm a one of the larger Beatles fans uh, physically and from a fandom standpoint on the planet, and. I gotta admit that with a little help from my friends is better than the the Beatles version. I don't think Elton John's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is better than... If, well, we're, if we're talking about Sergeant Pepper... <laughs> thank like God that. I didn't have that as a pick, yeah, and it yeah. was close. I mean, I actually crossed that out right before I got to the podcast. By the way, yeah. you, Jeff, since you're a Beatles guy, have you ever heard the album All This in World War II? No. It was a soundtrack album. It was uh, based... It was back in the, like, 70s. It was an RKO, or RSO, Robert Stigward. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It was, the movie was, like, archival footage of World War II... But set to covers of Beatles songs. Oh God! Featuring several Bee Gees covers of Beatles songs. Wow! That sounds amazing. Wow! Yeah. Like ones taken from the Sgt. Pepper feature film, because that was Bee Gees covering. But this Beatles. was be- this was before uh, this was before, before Sgt. Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant Pepper. So wow. it's got that's it's got the Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds by Elton John. It's got uh, Leo Sayer doing I Am the Walrus. <laughs> Oh my god! Let that sink in your brain for a minute. Oh my god! I stumbled on this at the radio station in college, and oh. every every week I had to play that Leo Sayer until the point they like you can't. You gotta, oh my god! You gotta knock it off with that. Wow! <laughs> Ixnay on the airs a injured Ray. Anyway, I digress. Okay, um, and you know what? I I gotta say, the People Are Strange was a fun pick too, and got us into the world of sound uh, soundtracks. So. Uh, that's three for Patty. That's three for Patty that are now etched into the Mount Rushmore of cover songs that are better than the original. And because uh, it caused so much debate internally, and because it's the man in black, we'll pick Hurt as covered by Johnny Cash and producer extraordinaire Rick Rubin. So this has been the Mount Rushmore of, of songs that are better than the originals, that are covers that are better than originals. I want to thank Patty Coleman. Sorry, Patty Colm for being here with us this week. Uh, I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Michael.